Hi, everyone. Gee, it's been a while since we last spoke to you all, actually even since we've last seen people, let alone talked to people. I hope you've all been keeping well, safe, good spirits, despite all the lockdowns. We might be able to take your mind off things for a little while today. But before we start, welcome back, Dave. It's been a really long time. I haven't seen you in ages either. <laughs> and I've missed you, Mary, and I've missed Stephen as well. So, you know. <laughs> uh, you've said it so much that I believe you. But anyway, um, well, today our topic, our topic today is actually ESG. So for those that don't know what ESG is, it's not a medical procedure. It actually refers to the environment social and governance criteria that many companies, individuals and investors are focusing on and in fact starting to prioritise in many cases. ESG factors have been generally on the sidelines when, when it comes to financial, with financial analysis actually taking precedence, but we can now see increasing focus on ESG. So I can hear people asking, well, what does it mean? What is it? Well, just to break it down, E is simple. It's about the environment, it talks about climate change, care for resources, deforestation. S is the social aspects, encompasses things like working conditions, health and safety, communities and employee relations, as well as diversity and employment. Finally, G is for governance. It covers areas such as executive pay, board compositions, diversity of board compositions, corruption, as well as tax strategy. We're going to dig into this topic, but before we do, Dave, passing over to you to introduce our special guest today. We'll, we'll make sure that after this, everyone's going to be rushing to Google to learn more about what it is. It is my pleasure to be introducing Stephen Kukulis. Uh Stephen, it is great to have you back. Um, you're the ma Managing Director of Market Economics, and we've had you before on the show, Stephen, and I feel this yeah. is your kind of topic that you could really spin your wheels on. Oh, look, thanks, Dave and Mary. Look, uh, really a great time to be talking about these issues. They are huge. They're going to be dominating how the corporate world is managing itself and how the government's going to be managing what corporates do. So a perfect timing and what is a hot topic. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back. Yeah, definitely a pleasure to have you back. Thanks so much for making the time. So we've got an idea. We're going to get, get right into it. We've got an idea now um, of what ESG is. So can we ask you, Stephen, first off, why is it trending? Why is ESG trending and becoming a focal point, not only for companies, but also the wider local and global communities? Yeah, look, I, I might start off answering that question with a discussion about a few high-profile examples where uh, ESG has gone wrong, in a sense, and hurt the reputation and even the financial position, of course, of, of a number of corporations. Uh, uh, in the mining sector, for example, we've had the uh, problem in the Brazilian iron ore mine a couple of years ago where they cut corners on how they managed their business. And unfortunately, it led to an environmental and a human catastrophe. People died when some of the tailings dams burst. So that had huge implications. They basically stopped production, stopped mm -hmm. Exporting stopped profits, a huge issue on how they were managing their, if you like, their broader uh, ESG components. Similarly, um, uh, historical artefacts have been damaged in various mining sectors, and that's caused grief for the management, for the business, and for the reputation of some of those businesses. So that's been an important thing too. And you know, interestingly, looks well, both at the government level, because I suppose governments have to incorporate ESG as well as the private sector. You know, some of the um, Oh, what do we call it, the sexual harassment scandals that have been dogging 
uh, you know, different parts of government and even even some companies, those scandals are very damaging. Mm. So putting in place the processes where uh, staff and management are aware of their obligations and their ability to report indiscretions and so that they're dealt with quickly is part of this whole management issue of reputational damage, which, of course, can lead to uh, financial problems. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, there's a lot to dig into, and so many things have happened in terms of if we if we talk about environmental stuff, like that's been a huge factor in in recent years with climate change, everything like that. Um, now, yes. Stephen, there's uh, growing evidence that suggests ESG factors can provide investors with long term performance advantages. How true is that? Because uh, I always thought investors prioritise potential return on an investment. Really good topic too, because of course some of the uh, hesitancy, I suppose, about embracing some of these issues is, is that, of course, the uh, uh, financial controllers and others think, oh, gosh, it's going to cost us a fortune to uh, change the way that we do business. Uh, and, of course, profits, returns, expansion are all you know, a critical part of doing business. And I don't think anybody's wanting to um, upset that, those objectives of, of running a business. But, you know, we're increasingly aware that, you know, if a, if a company can um, be on the front foot, if you like. This change is happening. There's no point denying that uh, the, the corporate responsibilities are going to be changing and growing uh, in importance over time. So don't be in denial, in a sense. Embrace the change. Yeah, it's driven, it's driven by consumers at the end of the day. That's where the push is coming from. So if you want to keep your customers, you're going to have to change. Mm. Yes, indeed. That's important that it's the consumers that are, are also reacting very strongly. There's no doubt about that. And even we've seen it in the media in a sense that, you know, while we like um, some of these shock, shock jocks on TV and radio to be controversial, they stir up issues, and, and that's fine. But again, when they, when they overstep the mark, when they overstep what the social values are on a range of issues, mm. you see on social media in particular, you know, people coming out, well, you know, company XYZ was advertising on that program. We're going to boycott you if you keep advertising when this shock job on the radio or on TV is sprouting things that we don't want to hear. So managing that reputational risk is, is one of the important aspects to managing this, um, this whole ESG process. Yeah, and, and you can't just go into hiding anymore either. I mean, we, we see it not only with sporting stars, celebrities, whatever, yeah. their brands are being um, compromised with behaviour or even what they support. Forget their behaviour, just yeah. what they support, whether they support environmental change or not support environmental change, who they know, who they don't know. And social media allows that to spread so much quicker than it would have, say, a decade or two decades ago that these things are coming to the fore a lot more quickly than people are even prepared for. Yes, yes indeed. And, and in a sense, some of our discussion so far has been more on the negative, you know, bad scandals and these sorts of things. But again, if you're, if you're um, reading the changing winds, if you like, on, on some of these issues, on how a company deals with its environmental processes, how it's, you know, perhaps on the on the social issues, it's embracing gender equality in the workforce and equal pay for all its men and women. They publish those sorts of numbers that, you know, they're going to be really on the front foot. People will be, uh, you know, enlightened and delighted to see some of those changes. And you can actually make a virtue of 
of changing your practices, embracing the way society is changing and embracing the way that, you know, when social media sees a positive thing, and, and don't forget that, you know, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and these sorts of uh, platforms, that people also, they're not just all negative, they do heap praise when someone comes out with a with a really vibrant change in these issues that are encompassed in the ESG space, that you know, they, they get a big tick, they get a, a, a real uh, positive boost from simply changing the way they're doing business. And, of course, that leads to, as we are saying a little while ago, Dave, that leads to greater sales and greater profitability. Yeah. 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 I remember going to uh, an REM concert when they were still a band that toured and part of your ticket price went to, I believe it was Amnesty International. Um, you know, so they they sort of like blended themselves into, uh, you know, basically like a charity human rights organisation, which I always thought was a clever move for their audience, you know? Yes, and, and when people do embrace that, then of course, that uh, well, as you just mentioned now, it's, it's great for their brand. So, uh, of course, there's always going to be a few naysayers. Sure. Uh, but at the, I think at the end of the day, the, the change, whether you like it or not, is occurring on those human rights issues, environmental issues. And as a big corporation, you know, if, for example, um, uh, in the clothing space, if you're a clothing retailer, you've got a choice, I suppose, on where you buy your products. And look, I'm a consumer of clothes. I buy shirts and jeans and all these other things, and mm. so do my kids and all the rest of it. And I love paying these incredibly low prices for T-shirts and <laughs> things because they're produced at a remarkably low price. But, again, as we've seen in some of the discussion on these issues too, that... Um, uh, if you're sourcing your product from some of these uh, sweatshops in Bangladesh, for example, sure. where the pay is horrible, the conditions where the people who are making my clothes are, are working, then, of course, you might think to yourself, well, that actually is not a nice product to be buying. I prefer to pay a couple of bucks extra for my clothes and have it made by someone who's in a decent working conditions and the like. So there's all that stuff about being virtuous on, you know, even how you conduct your business. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, do you think, Steve, there's a sense of change of the wind here? And while it's not overly regulated, is ESG something that will become more regulated in the near future? Yeah, good question. And I think, uh, well, if I can just put in context a couple of these big issues that are coming up, literally within the next few months, we've got the... Uh, world leaders meeting in Glasgow. We've all heard a lot of that in the media, and that's uh, next month, right. where clearly they're going to be embracing a change to uh, get to net zero by 2050 in terms of emissions, um, and that's going to be just reinforcing that, I guess, that overarching change that's occurring. Uh, and then we've got a federal election. Some people are speculating it'll be before Christmas, but I think more likely after Christmas. But in any event, it's going to be with us in the next six or seven months. Mm. We're going to be voting. And I think this one uh, will have implications. You know, Labor are clearly more progressive on environmental issues, electric cars and uh, renewable energy uh, and these sorts of things. So uh, the coalition still has a little bit of a... Uh, a legacy of the coal industry and the National Party and whatnot, and without getting into the ins and outs of all of that, the election result that we're going to be seeing in the next six months could well have significant implications. So if you're a business uh, looking at how you're going to be dealing with what will be coming from the global leaders, what might be coming from uh, a potential change in government, I think the betting's 50-50 at the moment, whether, whether Mr yeah. Morrison or Mr Albanese <laughs> is the winner. Of, uh, it is, it, it uh, is always uh, a fascinating... Well, I'm not making any predictions on election outcomes, but you know, it does matter. <laughs> it really does matter. And if you're um, uh, 
um, in one of these industries, and you know, just on the on the um, assumption that, that we do have a change of government uh, early in the new year, then I dare say Labor is going to have a very different approach to a lot of the issues that are encompassed in in the E part of ESG in particular, but also some of the other ones that will have implications for how you're going to be doing your business. Yeah, 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 true. Um, they, they differ on so many aspects of policy, but when it comes to environment, social and governance, I think definitely on the environment, there's a much bigger divide between the two parties um, in terms of speed of getting to where we want to go, for sure. But um, I just want to move on to uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers paper. There's a really good paper that was written in June this year, and it's titled are you ready for the ESG revolution? It's a really great read, so we might attach a copy um, or a link to, to this podcast. Um, it acknowledges that investors, lenders, rating agencies, they're expecting more transparency around non-financial met metrics, what's going on with the business. With that transparency will come more regulations, but it's also it also highlights some of the barriers to ESG's effectiveness. So how do you balance ESG growth with targets? How do we approach the lack of reporting standards? So Given the barriers, how ready do you think boardrooms around the country are for this? Most of the literature suggests they're in early stages, if they're even taking it into consideration at all. Do you think they're ready or could be ready? Oh, yes, I read that paper and it was really interesting to sort of see. And I think it depends on uh, what business you're in. And just to, to take the environment side of the, um, of the discussion, if you're just, for example, in uh, a services business, just say banking and finance insurance, you, know, you have a very different uh, approach to how you're going to be managing these changes as opposed to you being in uh, transportation, in energy. So there's a very, so it's very hard to be generic when you say that business sector is fast or slow. Um, because if you're in the one that's going to be targeted, if you like, or, or, or the subject of this social change and this global change that's occurring, you're going to have to be more agile than, agile than perhaps a services-based sector that perhaps doesn't have the same urgency of its need to change on, on the environmental aspect, just to use that example again. But um, again, we're seeing other things unfold too, which are, are really uh, interesting. Things that you know a year ago we would not even have imagined, and that uh, the one that I'm thinking of right now is how firms will deal with uh, staff that might be fully vaxxed for um, a COVID-19, or even their clients. You know, if you're a, a business where you have face-to-face -face contact with clients, and again, the airlines perhaps are one example of that. Uh, you know, how are you going to be dealing with? Uh, that issue, given that uh, let's assume that we get to 90% fully vaccinated when you know in the next couple of months, and let's hope we do. I'm I'm a, I'm keen to see that happen. But for those 10%, for whatever reason, they might have an underlying health condition that doesn't allow them to be vaccinated. They may be just anti-vaxxers, whatever the case may be. If you're a business, what do you do? Do you have people at the door saying, "Well, hang on, you can't come into my business"? Um, because you're unvaccinated or a staff member. Well, hang on, you cannot turn up to work because you're unvaccinated. That is a, uh, a really difficult issue when you're, when you're managing these things. So it's a really um, fascinating time when you think about that part of it. And the other thing is to, to not be in denial. I mentioned this just briefly before, but mm. whether, you're, whether you like it or not, Basically, the world and these leaders, the leaders meeting in Glasgow next month will embrace zero net emissions by 2050. It's going to happen. 
the path how we get there, of course, is what's going to be debated. What do we do in terms of renewables? What do we do with phasing out the, if you like, again, inverted commas, the dirty uh, industries within society? But it's going to happen. And if you don't realise that, it's a bit like the, some of the issues when the internet evolved you know, 20, 25 years ago. Some people say, oh, no, people will always come in. I, they need their bricks and mortar. They need to try on these clothes. Sure. They need to touch these items. And a number of retailers got really badly burnt because they thought that that uh, model was that had served them well, admittedly, for the last 20 years, the last 30 years, was still going to be in place. So, again, that agility, that ability to sort of see ahead and don't deny what is an inevitable change uh, that's going to be occurring in, in those areas uh, of your business. So it's really important to sort of... What is your business? What are your risks? So perhaps sit down and think about, well, yeah, what business am I in? Am I in one that can make a difference? And again, whether you're reactive because you're perhaps seen as perhaps a laggard or can you lead and have a strategy on your ESG uh, part of the business plan where you can actually be making a virtue of it and, and making business on the back of it? I've got a question, Steve. Um, uh, taking We've talked about like so-called dirty industries, but what about an industry like nuclear energy? Would that be considered something in line with this ESG or would that be considered as a negative? Well, gosh, that, that is a really tough question because, of course, they have uh, zero carbon emissions with uh, nuclear-powered uh, electricity, uh, but there are risks if the thing goes wrong, the sure. uh, nuclear power plant goes wrong. Look, that's a really interesting issue. And in Australia, we don't have any nuclear energy. In many other parts of the world, yeah. throughout much of Europe, the UK, US, whatever, Japan, they've got huge nu- nuclear yeah. power plants. And that's plant. why I'm so thinking. Again, you know, that's why I'm thinking that it could potentially be something <coughs> that might get phased in um, if to meet these targets in Australia. Well, again, that is going to be very much a, a government decision. Uh, again, we were talking about the election before. Um, I dare say, there. Are, well, I'm aware that there's many people in the coalition parties who are sort of thinking, well, hang on, we can build some nuclear power plants. They're, um, unfortunately, from what I understand, they take a fair while to build. But when, once they're up and running, they're remarkably efficient. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of it enough and how much they cost relative to renewables, sure. uh, other renewables like you know, uh, wind and solar and those sorts of things. But nonetheless, I think it could be a really hot topic if, if particularly if the coalition is re-elected. So again, that is going to be a really interesting issue for um, how we produce our energy. Maybe I should run, Mary, in the next election with that as my platform. <laughs> Well, I don't know when you get many votes. There's certainly a lot of lot of people on that ballot paper in the Senate. I know that much. We'll need to start looking for a campaign manager for you, Dave. Oh, you, Mary. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I just want to just touch again still on the preparedness of some companies because we yes. know a lot of companies, I mean, like you said earlier, we don't want to keep focusing on, on the negative part. Most of them do want to do the right thing. Um, and it's not always the case that the consumers are, are forcing this. Some companies them, themselves, they're consumers as well, they do want to do the right thing. What can they expect? How do they actually prepare to, to look at incorporating and balancing ESG, assuming that they're in an industry where they really need to focus on it, whether it's the environment, social or governance? How can they prepare? How do they analyse what they need to do? Well, listen to podcasts like this and look at the PwC <laughs> reports. And although that's not me being smart, apologies. But no, um, look, it really, it really is this question. 
to sort of step back a little bit and what do you do? What is your business? How from you know, your supply chain distribution network, the services you provide, have a look at your carbon footprint. Are you able to sort of calculate that with reasonable accuracy? Not all businesses can, of course, but can you then be really um, transparent about it and sort of show that you are uh, a responsible corporate citizen, to use that phrase, in, in terms of how you're doing? On, and even on things on the gender issues, are you really on the front foot where you've got exec your executive uh, team? Do you have you know, gender balance on your executive team? Are you having uh, other diversity in how you're employing people? Again, that can be a real virtue uh, as well as something that you can adapt to because, of course, when you're trying to retain staff or to uh, increase your talent by hiring more staff as your business is expanding, you know, you want the best people to apply for the jobs, of course. You want the most skilled, smartest, most efficient workers. And if someone says, well, here's company A versus company B, gee, company B is good because they've got these particular uh, ESG issues that I like, even though you're that you might only get the same pay, you'll get people gravitating to that. And occasionally, you see, or often you see that in some of these surveys that pop up in the media every now and again, now and again you know, which are the best companies to work for, and there's the top 50 companies. And it's interesting when you have a look down that list, uh, and be they a retailer or, or uh, an IT sort of uh, one of these newfangled companies, they generally have a really positive uh, ESG sort of feel to them, and that attracts a lot of the talent. So, you know, when you're preparing, what do you do about it? What, you know, when you finish listening to this, what do I actually go and do? Look at what you're doing. Look at your your social responsibilities. Look at what happened may happen with governance issues. Be alert to that, and then of course uh, have a look at your environmental footprint and and see if you can implement changes now because they're going to be forced upon you if you're if you're a little slow to embrace them yeah and you yeah. see it as part of an advertising strategy now i mean i if i'm watching tv or reading the paper many of these bigger companies are, are taking up advertising space to focus on some of these factors that they're incorporating what they're either donating back to the community or or advertising their um uh, hiring diversity or how they treat their consumers. They're actually not only advertising their products or services, but they're actually advertising the ESG criteria that they take into, effect, uh, into account and what they're doing. It's, it's clever, but it just shows yeah. how important it's becoming, actually. It is, and those companies have realised that uh, that is a virtue for them. Yes, again, quite right, I've seen those ads on TV too and uh, in the papers that it's sort of interesting when they pop up, you think, well, actually, what you're not actually advertising your product. Yeah. Uh, if I'm selling widgets or whatever the case may be, they're saying that actually we're a, we're a, we're a company that embraces uh Skill training our staff. We're a company that embraces uh, environmentally uh, aware issues on how we conduct our business, and people it's sort of a feel good story. And I, well, they're doing it for an obvious reason, and that is because it works. It makes people feel feel warmer towards that company than perhaps the ones that are a bit more of the uh, uh, less embracing of these ESG issues. Yeah, it's creating it's creating a personal bond in a way with your with your um, consumers, which is quite uh, quite good and quite clever. And but, um, consumers are the ones that spend money in your business, and if you can make your consumers come to you rather than your competitor, that's the name of the game, isn't it? Absolutely, it is all about relationships at the end of the day. But we we still want to have a strong, vibrant private sector. So, 
what will the regulators and government need to take into account to ensure we don't interrupt this or, in fact, create an environment that's unattractive to investors? Because as a country, of course, we rely on um, interdependency and trade as well as investment. How do we make sure we don't become unattractive or deemed to be too hard to deal with? Because that could yeah. be the, the opposite the opposite of that. The, the, that the yeah, that is a really good question. You don't want too much red tape, I suppose, we could generically call this, that if you're imposing... Uh, all these really strict conditions and rules and regulations, people might say, well, I can invest in another country or I can set up my uh, production plants in another country and not have this particular problem. So I think that's where the regulators and, and the government and governments from above, if you like, has to be very careful. And look, I think they're generally getting that balance about right. Uh, the market will certainly react if they go too far. And again, this is why this debate uh, on uh, energy issues is so important right now, and even on gender issues. Yeah, it's been a hot topic during the course of this year, unfortunately for all the wrong reasons in a sense. But nonetheless, that has focused the minds of a lot of people into, you know, things like the gender pay gap, things like uh, how we are going to be embracing things. And so there's that question about, do I, as the senior management of a particular business, embrace these changes and make a virtue of it? Or do I wait for the regulators, the government, if you like, to tell me to do something different? So, uh, yes, we do have to be careful that the regulations aren't too strict. And again, this is where uh, one of the virtues of globalisation, dare I say it, that you know, we are part of the global economy. And of course, with uh, technology and the internet and whatnot, um, you know, the, the, those barriers to what to knowing what's going on around the world have changed. And indeed, the, the ability of businesses to uh, function in different countries is, is really, uh, really quite transparent now. So again, it's what are, what is not just my competitors within Australia doing, but what's happening around the world? What are the little issues that I can see in other countries, in other businesses, in other governments that I think are going to be happening in Australia and how can I take advantage of that? And again, hopefully making a virtue out of these changes, not being concerned that, oh, gosh, I'm going to be over-regulated mm. and therefore my business is going to suffer. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah not, not, not sticking your head in the sand and actually taking um, a look around to see what others are doing, yeah. Sorry, Dave. No, totally. I mean, it's just fascinating. Um, Stephen, I was going to ask, what are some of the pitfalls, though, to look out for? So many investors, businesses and customers want to ensure they're investing responsibly, but how do they know or how can they check they're not being greenwashed, quote-unquote, um, i.e. being yes. duped into believing something is sustainable or low-carbon or socially responsible and it yeah. might not be? Oh, that is a really tough one because, again, that greenwashing, as you said, is something where some companies and the unscrupulous ones sort of make up numbers about how how responsible they are. And, of course, uh, when that's disclosed, they get caught out. But, look, it, it, is, it is really an important issue too. The pitfalls, gosh, I, I think the pitfalls are probably – uh, not doing enough rather than doing too much, mm -hmm. that if you're embracing the broad themes that are underpinning this this push, the societal push, the governmental push, the global push to embrace uh, ESG issues, that if you do too much, if you like, that you embrace too many changes, you're probably going to be more ahead of the curve than um, perhaps going on a wrong path. If, if Again, if you... If you think that you can avoid some of these changes, you're going to be caught out. But that 
ability to be transparent, to be honest, to disclose things. And if things go wrong, disclose them. We know from, you know, the business world, from our personal lives, from the government, hiding things is often worse than the, than the issue itself. And and if you've got a, a plan to address a particular problem, uh, people, again, will realise that you're, you're, you're fair income, if you like, about fixing these problems. So, again, yes, we do want to keep the economy vibrant. We do want to keep the business sector growing. But again, rather than thinking this is going to be a negative for profitability, for turnover, for the whole economy more generally, I think we now realise that if you, you know, if you're the manufacturer of uh, charge stations for electric cars, mm. you're probably going to be very busy over the next ten or twenty years. If you're a petrol station operator, you better be uh, embracing that sort of change as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, just checking the timing. Mean, I think we've run out of time, but as <laughs> always, it's um, we really do appreciate your insights, Stephen. It's been a really fascinating topic and things that just come up even for me to think about while we've been talking about this. Uh, it's not one of those topics that's just going to be buried. I think it's definitely going to evolve and uh, it's one definitely to keep an eye on. But it's been great chatting to you. Thank you so much for um, giving us your time and definitely very good insights. Thanks thank to you, you too, Dave. Oh, thank you, Mary, and thank you, Steve. Oh, and, and Mary and Dave, thank you for the opportunity to speak. It's a hot topic. This this is changing too. Yeah, what we are saying today may well be uh, different when we have a follow-up podcast on the topic in 12 months' time. Sure. Such is the change that's going on in how businesses are changing, how technology is changing. That's going to guide us. Yeah, for sure.